Hello, you're welcome to If I Were the Minister for Education from OnShot.net. Episode 73, A Proper Plan for Technology. I have to be honest with you, um, this episode uh, wasn't supposed to happen for probably about a year um, and it wasn't called a proper plan for technology. In fact, it had a much more boring and verbose title of all technology should be ordered through a centralised system. And um, well, I firstly, I suppose I don't know how I get 30 minutes out of a title like that. But mainly the reason I brought it forward by about a year and uh, why I've changed it to a proper plan for technology was because I had to find some way to shoehorn the topic of how to spend the latest ICT grant somewhere into this podcast. And for the last few weeks, I've been hoping to do that. But I suppose other things in the have gotten in the way, um, you know, in terms of uh, topics to discuss, such as Catholic Schools Week, which was um, uh, a couple of weeks ago, and then maybe less interestingly, uh, a submission on bus transport, which uh, the Department of Education has asked schools to submit to. Now, I promised a colleague that I would do an episode based on the surprise grants, I suppose if, is, is probably the best way to describe it, um, that we uh, basically a surprise grant that landed in our accounts just before the winter break at the end of 2021. So while I will argue, in, in, I suppose in part, that you know we, we should be ordering things from a centralised place, this is really more of a guide to how to spend your latest ICT grant. And if you're a geek like me, you can expect a little bit of geeky nostalgia in the mix. Hello, hello, you are welcome to If I Were the Minister for Education from Unshaw.net. This is Simon Lewis with episode 73, A Proper Plan for Technology in Education. Well, for those of you who just became principals this year, um, well, first of all, what were you thinking? Uh, get it, applying for a job in the middle of a global pandemic where your job has been more of a contact tracer than a principal, but also with the increased workload of being available 24 hours a day. But you may also be wondering, what are principals on about, about the lack of money in technology? There's a load of money in it. There's, you've, there's plenty of money. Sure, why is this school got no technology at all at all when you've got all this money? Well, this year, <laughs> was the first time ever, certainly in my memory anyway, that schools were given enough money that they could make some decisions about more than just the basics when it came to technology in their schools. And in some way, it almost shocked us um, into some sort of helplessness. You know, the money came in a couple of months ago as at this time of the recording, and it's almost like everyone's sort of frozen into, what are we going to do with this? You know, we've, we've spent the last two decades trying to scrap together enough money to buy the bare minimum in terms of technology that classrooms need and kind of keeping them in working order since then. So this year has been a really weird one. What are we going to do with this extra money? So for those of you who don't know, what this extra money is. Basically, for the last number of years, uh, schools have been receiving a grant, a general grant uh, for technology, which is kind of keeping things ticking over. Um, you know, you m- might have enough money to buy one or two extra bits and pieces, but generally it's, you know, to keep keep the ship sailing. 
But this year, uh, the Department of Education got a grant from the EU, um, which basically was uh, to help with disadvantage, improve broadband infrastructure and so on. Now, they didn't do that, of course. Um, what they did is they got the money and they split it evenly between all the schools in the country. So most schools got a few thousand euro, um, more than they would usually get. Um, and because you probably haven't planned for it, you're kind of thinking, oh my gosh, you know, it's, it's an extra bit of money and you know, we can spend it on stuff, uh, I suppose is probably the best way to describe it. And, you know, I suppose what people are thinking is, what are we going to do with this extra money? So in this episode, I suppose the best thing I can describe this is I'm going to try and bring you on a journey, a bit of a journey, um, a virtual journey. Maybe let's compare it to a, a train journey because we're going to start somewhere, okay? And at different points, you might need to get off or get on at a stop because that might be where you're at when it comes to technology in your school. Because before we start, it's, it's important to understand why, when it comes to school, there is very little consistency when it comes to technology. And I'm not sure if this is unique in terms of pedagogy uh, when, in Ireland anyway. And again, I'm, I suppose uh, before I continue, you know, this, this episode is, while it's aimed at teachers and maybe school leaders or people who are responsible for technology and education, I'm going to try and, you know, explain things to people who may not be in the education system um, and may just have an interest, may have children in schools and, and they might wonder about technology and education. So just, uh, I suppose, to give you that bit of context. Uh, and I'm not sure, like, and I'm not sure if it's even unique in Ireland, um, but I I kind of think it is a little bit that um, when it comes to technology, there's very, very little consistency. So if you pick any other aspect of education, whether it's English, Guelga, math, science, visual arts, religion, you know, any subject or even any other methodology, most schools are pretty much the same when it comes to things like equipment, resources, ideas attitudes and so on. I mean, in attitudes is kind of interesting to me because technology is one of the very few aspects of primary school where you can hear a teacher saying, ah, I'm not that great at technology, you know, and people go, don't say what, you know, or don't get surprised with that. Like, could you imagine if I went in and said, ah, sure, I'm not really that great at maths. And people would be like, well, go off and get trained. You know, what's wrong with you? But when it comes to technology, there seems to be some sort of forgiveness that you don't have to be good at or you don't have to be in, you don't have to even be interested in it um, to be okay. You know, so for every reason you have schools in Ireland where you wouldn't see a difference um, in some cases where you wouldn't see a difference between today and 2020 to in the 2020s and um, the difference between then now and the 1970s when it comes to technology and education and then you've got schools that are playing around with you know mad things like augmented reality and messing around with robotics like it's the equivalent of one school using ink and blotting paper and another using a stylus on a tablet let's say and you know i am aware that this analogy is not going to date well but you get the point you know so how did look how did this all happen i suppose is what i want to know how do we have a point where there's schools that are really in their infancy when it comes and even pre-infancy when it comes to technology even now and you've got schools that are way ahead of the curve in terms of technology and everything in between so what i'm going to do is just very briefly give you a bit of a history lesson as quickly as i possibly can um about the history of technology really in education. Now technology and education in Ireland actually started a long long time before most countries weirdly enough. In 1973 I think is the year you can sort of date when 
Ireland took an interest in technology and education before the era of personal computers. Uh, before cert, uh, it was um, the establishment of, a, of an organisation called SESI, C E S I, Computers and Education um, um, Society of Ireland, where a group of academics uh, came together to. They found these these things called computers that were very large. They were the size of rooms, but they thought there must be something one can do with these things in education and this society was born then and uh, and it's still in existence uh, over 50 years later um almost 50 years later sorry it'll be 50 years next year which is amazing um and uh, it has, has become one of the most important voices in technology and education in, in lots and lots of different ways but in reality in mainstream technology and education because we could talk about the 1980s with the era of the personal computer uh, when some schools started using things like logo and basic as programming languages and then into the 90s when the uh, when the pc really uh, came to fruition and you had um, and I'll talk about some of these people a bit later, actually, because uh, but uh, enthusiastic teachers playing around with this new thing called Windows um, back in the early 90s. And as that kind of evolves, uh, as the Internet became introduced uh, into uh, people's uh, houses in around 19 in the in the mid 1990s um, and what that meant um, into, I suppose, mid to late 1990s. And um, really, I suppose that's where we'll begin the proper story of technology and education. And it was called the IT2000 um, initiative uh, in 1997, where schools uh, were going to be um, using technology for the first time. And uh, as part of that, um, every school in the country um, in association with Telecom Erin, as it was the time, or Air these days, uh, through and through get uh, through in, uh, basically gave every school a computer, a Gateway Two Thousand computer, and. Uh, I remember I was um, I was actually still in school uh, at the time, just about in school when this Gateway Two Thousand computer came into um, into into classrooms into into a school, and it sat in a box for a long time. And I remember opening that box for uh, the principal of my ex primary school at the time, uh, and uh, I think um, turning it on and the I mean, it, I, I mean I I, I feel. I'm exaggerating a bit here when I say, oh, what is this thing? Oh, my gosh, what what will we do with it at all at all? But people didn't really know. I, I mean, people knew how to use computers. I mean, it wasn't like people. I mean, but a lot of people didn't use computers, you know, in the in the mid to late 19, uh, 1990s. Um, you know, there was a massive digital divide um, at the time. And uh, while computers existed, you know, they certainly weren't being used in schools and people didn't really know what to do with them. Um, so that computer either stayed in a staff room or ended up at the back of someone's uh, classroom and uh, I suppose teachers were trained uh, uh, you know and and this was the big thing how can we train teachers in using these computers and unfortunately why well, I suppose what happened was teachers were trained in using word and PowerPoint uh, and not actually how to teach using um, these computers so teachers became uh, you know were making posters um, and were making uh, Word documents, they were typing their lesson plans and printing them and uh, some uh, teachers were using PowerPoint but they weren't letting the children use these things um, and that was I suppose maybe uh, something interesting in the early days and it set a context really that these devices were teacher devices rather than student devices at the time. Now I know this might seem a bit odd to people who've started teaching in the last five to ten years because obviously that's changed a bit but if we roll into the into the early part of the millennium into the 2000s um, I suppose nothing really happened 
as such. We introduced these computers. We were told they were great. There was a lot of training for teachers on how to use these computers and how to fix them when they broke and so on. But there wasn't really any investment into um, adding, I suppose, the network for using the internet, for example. Broadband was still not um, widespread in Ireland uh, in the early part of the 2000s. Um, and, you know, as as houses and, and the homes uh, of, of people became, I suppose, they were better equipped than, you know, the vast majority of schools. Um, and schools really for the first four or five years of uh, the, the 2000s really didn't really do anything except train teachers and things. And enthusiastic teachers kind of did stuff individually and they shared that at things like the SESI conferences and so on. And um, But really, in reality, in 2005, an inspector's report on technology and education showed that only 4% of primary school teachers were using technology regularly in their classroom. And I suppose nothing really changed until 2008. And from 2008, uh, in 2008, and I would suggest that this was the um, start of the technology revolution in uh, primary schools in Ireland. And it didn't come from governments. It didn't come from a government agency called the NCTE, which is now the PDST Technology and Education. I don't know why they changed to that. It was much better being the NCTE. Uh, but anyway, um, it, um, what happened was there was a conference and it was um, run by the IPPN. And one of the keynote speakers was a company and this company was Prime Ed of all people, and they had got the exclusive contract of selling Promethean interactive whiteboards in Ireland. And they did an exclusivity deal with the IPPN that they would be allowed to showcase this thing called an interactive whiteboard. Now, it may seem bizarre to you if you're in the system um, now uh, and that, that there was ever a world where there wasn't an interactive whiteboard, but it was really in 2008 when uh, this first came along, January 2008, when Promethean, uh, through PrimeEd, showed this thing called an interactive whiteboard and what it could do. And from what I'm told, because I started my job just a few months later uh, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a, as a principal at the time, but so I wasn't at that conference. But my understanding was a thousand principals sitting in front of this went, oh my God, we need this. We need these now. We want them now. And at 5,000 euro a pop, they needed them now and they were going to do whatever it took to get them. This was the future. This was the start. This was the Trojan horse, as I uh, coined it uh, at the time. This was the thing that was going to get technology into education. And unfortunately, uh, for, for schools, um, and unfortunately, I think for the powers that be, they made an error of judgment, first of many error of judgments. And the NCTE had this amazing delay in recognizing that the interactive whiteboard was the thing that was going to finally break technology into primary classrooms. And um, basically, they were still going on about a stylus and a tablet with a projector um, in a classroom and pushing that as, the, as, the, as a solution, while schools around the country did everything they could to get interactive whiteboards in their school by hell or high means. And coupled with the fact that there was no meaningful funding uh, in Irish primary schools from 1997 till about 2007, uh, but in reality, till about 2016, 2015, 2016, the, the, the blip there in the middle was there was funding for networking schools to allow them to give internet in, in primary schools. It meant that schools were reliant on fundraising for whatever they needed. 
And the general consensus, as I said there, was every classroom needed an interactive whiteboard, no matter what, and a teacher laptop too, obviously, so the interactive whiteboard could work. And there was no money for much else. And really, I suppose, back in the day, um, you know, things were a bit limited. I mean, there wasn't, a, I mean, it's kind of interesting. Things have changed even in the, in the last 10, 10 to 15 years. But back in the day of around 2008, Microsoft was still the only show in town. Um, you know, they were the, if you wanted a, a laptop, you, you weren't going to be looking for Chromebooks or iPads or anything like that. They're, they didn't exist. You basically got a Windows laptop and it it, it was, um, that was it. Um, so by the, by the 2010s, sorry about that, by the 2010s, uh, things had changed somewhat, uh, thankfully. Um, there were three companies, uh, Google, Microsoft and Apple, vying for schools' affections. And we had things called the iPad uh, versus tablet war that went nowhere. We had the iPad versus Chromebook war that kind of isn't going anywhere still. And then we also had this other uh, thing that happened, uh, I suppose, when technology started becoming mainstream. Look, I suppose from 2008 until about 2012, there was four years of like people just buying interactive whiteboards. Uh, and I'll talk about that a little bit later uh, because uh, it's important. It's probably the most important thing that happened in Ireland in terms of technology and education. Um, uh, but there were other things that happened in the mid uh, to late 2010s. Uh, Richard Bruton, when he became the Minister for Education, uh, led this really massive neoliberal push uh, for involving industry in schools so that basically that schools jobs were to basically turn children into mini coders um, so that they could uh, basically work in these uh, tech jobs and uh, really interesting thing. and still a thing right now um, and um, you know I, I, I mean I, and what didn't start with Richard Bruton I mean there, there was a lot of talk um, I remember being at conferences where I was uh, trying to stop coding from becoming a subject in primary schools um, and, and I still am trying to stop that from happening because it's not a good idea um, but uh, Richard Bruton really led that uh, with um, the smart schools uh, initiative and um, you know coding is still a thing that's trying to be pushed but lots of other things were being pushed um i'll give you some examples um you know the fads mainly um i mean some of them aren't going away but some of them some of them are like i mean for example the interactive whiteboard in some ways the nct thought that was going to be a fad and you know and it was a waste of money in a way but it, you know you can't go to a classroom uh, now uh, without uh, without having an interactive whiteboard. In fact, if you did go to a classroom without an interactive whiteboard, you may be a little bit lost. Um, but, you know, since then, there's been lots of uh, examples of fads that haven't really stuck. I mean, the first one I remember was those interactive voting uh, response systems. Do you remember those? Those things, those big, ugly, bright orange yokes that uh, Promethean were pushing. Uh, it put a kind of a remote control into children's hands. It was a voting system, um, really uh, excruciatingly priced as well. I don't, they never took off. Uh, do you remember iPods in classrooms? I mean, the, uh, these were... Uh, I mean, I actually think this was a good idea, but it never took off um, the idea of iPods in a classroom. Uh, I suppose that was, I suppose, taken over by iPads in classrooms in a way. I, I actually thought iPods were better than iPads. Um, and I, I mean, there's, there's, I don't have time in this episode, although this episode is going to go on for, um, it's going to be done in parts. Um, but uh, I don't think um, it's interesting enough to talk about iPods in, in, in themselves. Do you remember Fablets? Fablets were kind of like a, an in-between, uh, uh, between the tablets and the phones. So they were slightly bigger screens that couldn't quite fit in pockets, uh, but weren't quite uh, big enough to be called um, uh, tablets. Again, I thought they were, uh, again, I thought they were a fad that actually 
might have actually had use in classrooms, but again, didn't take off. Uh, netbooks, remember netbooks? These were uh, small laptops. So children-sized laptops in a way that had a and basically the reason they were successful or for, for a little while were because they had a longer battery life, let's say, than your regular laptop. They had four hours of battery, I think, rather than the two hours that you might get. Uh, do you remember Bbots? Bbots have been around for a long time, over 20 years, really. Um, but uh, they never really took, they took off a lot in the UK, but never really took off in Irish primary schools, really. Um, but, you know, they're still knocking about. You'll find them the odd time. Uh, do you remember virtual reality with those card with cardboard? I know Google had Google Cardboard is what that's called. So basically making your own virtual reality goggles and sticking these, uh, sticking phones in it and seeing how that went. Really, I mean, that went nowhere. I mean, I remember that being advertised uh, at a conference once and I, I just thought, you know... <laughs> That's it's just never going to happen. Um, but you know, again, it's it, it may come back. Uh, Raspberry Pis uh, in classrooms, another um, thing that really didn't take off in Irish primary schools. Uh, flip cams. Do you remember flip cams? So this is before phone, everyone had fo smartphones. The idea, and I thought these are brilliant devices. I actually had a few in the school. Um, it was a, a camera. Uh, which basically uh, you plugged into you, you could record um, a certain amount of uh, footage and then you plugged, you, it had a USB key that you plugged into a laptop and it downloaded and actually it was very, it was it was really easy to, uh, uh, the idea was that it was easy to get film onto, uh, from uh, uh, from a video camera, a small video camera onto a laptop, whereas quite laborious with the bigger ones at the time. Uh, does anyone remember Second Life? Uh, a virtual, because um, I suppose what Minecraft has kind of become a Roblox, all these kind of, Second Life was was like a, a sort of a virtual world where you could explore and build things and then of course uh, do you uh, I mean again Second Life nearly kind of had something again before uh, it just didn't take off as I said and then student blogging um, where st we were encouraging students to blog all the time and again that's uh, kind of went to it was it was something that was uh, kind of popular for a couple of years but again never really took off in Irish primary schools too well and certainly is now outdated now I could go on and on and on but there's my little nostalgic tour of the 2000s 2010s of technology and education of what can take off like interactive whiteboards but what also doesn't take off and if there was a fad um, around you can be sure that some enthusiastic teacher would take it on and most likely it was me um, <laughs> uh, because I I, I, am an, I was absolutely fascinated by anything that could be used um, in a classroom and I tried out everything I would say um, and you know while some of those things didn't stick to be to be fair some of them did and let me talk again about what did stick and it was really, I mean, as I said, it was the Trojan horse, uh, as I refer to it. It was the most important thing that ever happened in the Irish primary classroom in the 21st century. And that was the interactive whiteboard. And um, I said to you there about the t uh, 2008 IPPN conference, which absolutely I can you can absolutely pinpoint that that was what changed absolutely everything. Now. Uh, just to tell you a little bit about more about that, there, I, I mentioned the exclusivity deal that Promethean had at that conference. So at that conference, um, you know, I, I mean, I'm not saying that, you know, that that one talk revolutionized everything like, was because of that talk. But it's certainly there was discussions about interactive whiteboards at the time. I was talking about interactive whiteboards uh, on, on Shaw.net um, around 2006 onwards. And certainly I was, um, you know, it was it was they were definitely being spoken about a little bit. There were things like e-beams around. Uh, if people remember those, they were kind of like a precursor. Um, but, you know, they weren't really mainstream. There was some enthusiastic teachers that were kind of pushing them. And I, I would say that that 
that that conference kind of changed everything. And the exclusivity deal, just to give you kind of a story, really, I think just sometimes it's nice to hear about the history of uh, technology and education. It's an area I'm, I suppose I'm very familiar with, um, is that that exclusivity deal was an interesting thing because there were a lot of people ready to sell interactive whiteboards at the time. And, and in some ways, it was a it was a t- the year this was the year where schools were going to jump in but because of that exclusivity deal there was only one show in town and that was the promethean show and in a way it was a, a bit of a ah you know there were ethical questions to be asked as to whether that was a good idea but at the 2009 conference there were i think there were 56 different companies in ireland selling 28 different types of interactive whiteboard at the time that's how big this got for about three or four years where there any tom dick and harry were trying to sell you the latest and greatest interactive whiteboard they'd find something somewhere in the world which was and it was all about price wars really at the time because promethean and uh, smart uh, board were the two market leaders i think they would have had 75 percent of the market at the time and their interactive whiteboards were coming in at between five and five and a half thousand each um massive money for a school that was receiving no funding and um effectively i suppose the cheaper models um over the years uh, were bringing the prices down to you know uh, four thousand euro you could get uh, for you know, three thousand euro eventually about two thousand five hundred was the agreed kind of minimum cost you could get for an interactive whiteboard setup which was basically a big board a projector and that hooked into a laptop uh, and um which served uh, schools very very well for about 10 years uh, before these interactive white uh, screens became um i suppose more affordable as well um and um it was interesting really how between 2008 and 2012 really this was the peak year of interactive whiteboards buying on a smaller level there were other things that stuck in in irish primary schools the visualizer i think is one of the more underrated um sort of tools and, and i'm surprised by how few classrooms really have them because um, you know, ultimately, the visualizer is a very good tool for showing things. Um, I mean, I know they're not, I suppose they're not that necessary anymore now with, uh, you know, the ability to cast your um, phone to a, to a kind of a, to your, to your big screen these days. But there's still, I, th- I still think they have their use. And I remember actually that being introduced in Ireland. Uh, I was actually at a training course. Um, I think it was either one of the... Um, many failed roadmaps the nct were rolling out i'm sorry it's very critical but it, it really was it was it, i felt sorry for them because the intentions of the nct are so good and i really liked them and i did loads of work with them but every roadmap failed but uh, i think it was the one um it was either a roadmap or it was uh, there was this thing it was very I, I suppose it was kind of again the uh, 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 the government trying to catch up with real life but basically every teacher in the country was going to get a unique email address that the uh, that they were going to be contactable on by the government so centralized email system uh, and this was maybe 10 years after most people had received had their own email addresses and there wasn't really much point of it because um you know it didn't anyway it didn't take off um but just as an aside funnily enough and maybe it's not funny i think it's uh, i it, it's just a geeky thing again my gmail address is actually based on the email address i was given by the ncte at the time um slewis 7796 was to be my teacher email address um but uh, i my gmail address is slewis7796 at gmail.com based on that 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 thing i think i may be the only person in the country with my department of education email address still you know nearly uh, over 10 years later anyway i remember this uh, there was a deputy principal of a school in south dublin showing off this very odd looking swan shaped thing and um, it's called a visualizer 
And at the time, he believed it was better than an interactive whiteboard and would probably replace it in the future as a basic tool of a classroom. Now, I, I think he was, um, well, I, I thought he was wrong at the time. Um, and uh, I mean, you know, it certainly wouldn't. It's actually a good accompaniment, I would have thought. It sits nicely beside it. Uh, and But while it's not as ubiquitous in Irish classrooms, it's certainly not uncommon to find them around, and it did stick. Um, though probably not as much as one, I, as I said, should. I guess, um, I, I think nowadays maybe it isn't as necessary. I think a mobile phone um, can be converted to do what a visualizer does fairly easily these days uh, through casting. But I think for about 10 years, it was definitely a tool that I think schools probably should, ha should have had if they didn't have. And actually, I'd argue even today over a mobile phone, um, I still think, you know, you can do some really interesting things, especially in science uh, with a visualizer who can zoom into things very closely. But in reality, lots and lots and lots of fads over the last 20 years, I suppose, didn't help schools when they were trying to navigate this technology revolution. For someone like me, it was very exciting because I loved all these new tools and new gadgets. But for most schools, this was a whole new load of stuff that uh, really was, um, was unnecessary um, and, you know, really kind of um, a nuisance because what, what teachers really wanted, they wanted what they wanted to be told what they needed to have and they didn't need all these fads and all these new devices. But more importantly, and I say this with the best will in the world, because I know lots of people in this agency are, I'm about to tear them apart. Um, and I know a lot of them and, I, and they're really good people. Um, so I'm not, I'm, I'm doing this, I suppose, not with, you know, you know, with badness. I'm doing this with the best will in the world. I think the NCT made some colossal errors when it rolled out technology in Ireland. And to be fair to them, and I'd like to think it wasn't an accident, uh, but I'm pretty sure it was, the government didn't make ICT a curriculum subject thanks to the NCTE, repeating ad venitum that technology was not a subject, but it was a resource. And in fairness to them, if that's the only positive thing that they did, I think it was the, one of the more important things they did, really for the first 20 odd years of um, technology and education. It was really important that technology didn't become a subject. And the reason for that is, um, and, and the only way I can describe it is to show you a country that did make technology a subject, and that was the UK, and the the damage that did uh, really, um, because technology and education uh, for the first twenty years. Now things obviously the UK have moved away again from this a little bit, which is wise. Was what happened was you were getting children to learn how to use Microsoft Office um, as a, as a curriculum, and this was absolutely useless uh, to most children because as they became adults, it was very it was very probable that Microsoft Office, I mean, while it would be used, um, wasn't going to be the most important tool for their life. Um, you know, uh, there, there were other things that when they became adults, they were going to need uh, in ICT. Uh, and it wasn't basically all about typing um, or making presentations, though those things are useful. That was the curriculum that was used. Whereas what was more important was not using these skills in isolation. You know, it's fine to type something up, but you need to type things up in uh, within integrated within a subject so you know if you can type a document for a, a history um kind of project that's useful enough for history but the skill of typing isn't particularly useful i, I suppose is what i'm trying to say um and 
I think that was a mistake in the UK. And I think it was a great success and a great decision by the NCTE not to make technology a subject and to make it what they called a resource. Um, now, I've, I've, I've argued that that's wrong too. Um, I see technology as a methodology. It allows you to do things that you couldn't do without it. And I, 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 would, I would still say that I really think technology should be seen as a methodology rather than a resource. And certainly I would argue it shouldn't be a subject. So I think um, it's a good idea to pause here um, and just to say again that I see technology as a methodology. And I'll come back to it really because for me, it's the centre of my argument when I finally get to giving you my advice. Um, but I'm going to pause here because I think this is stop number one on my train journey. Um, because I suppose, number one, I've reached half an hour. And number two, um, I really think it's a good place to stop. Because um, what I want to do next is I want to start looking a little bit about the NCTE and its plans and what it was trying to do. and. I, I suppose this is kind of stop one, really, or this uh, this uh, bit is all really about history, about nostalgia, maybe for some of you, uh, and maybe of setting a context of the very early history of technology and education, um, because I think it's important to know why we are where we are and why your school might be where it is, as opposed to the school up the road, road who might be in a different place. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to pause this train station. If you wish, you can get off and come back to part two, which uh, will be released in a few days time. Um, or you might kind of go, do you know, what? <laughs> that was um, that was awful. I'll, um, I'm never coming back here again. Uh, but uh, hopefully that won't be the case. Uh, I'd love to see you in the next part of this episode. And uh, I suppose uh, thank you uh, for listening as uh, we uh, looked at the history of education and technology and uh, you can rest here for a little bit and we'll move on to talk about more about uh, a little bit of history of the late 90s and early 2000s um, about where plans went so more about the policies of and the and uh, of where technology went and why you are where you are and there we have uh, the end of part one of this episode. Uh, if you have enjoyed it, uh, please subscribe to Onshaw.net's podcast on any of your favourite platforms, whether that's Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, uh, Spotify and all the rest of the podcast uh, platforms that are out there. Uh, please also, if you feel, feel like it, to leave a review to uh, say if you've liked this podcast or not. And uh, I guess uh, that will help other people find it more easily or so I am told. So that is it for me for this week we'll catch you again for part two very shortly and um we will see you soon all the best thank you bye bye <laughs>